bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will make a boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and be glad. Come, let us magnify the Lord together. Amen. Let us lift his name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. As we have all read already, as been read into your hearing, we are in the book of Ruth. Today we're going to finish up um, Ruth, and we're in Ruth chapter 4. So if you have your copy of God's Word, please open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. And I just want to lift quickly into your hearing again, although we've already read it, verse 17. It says thus, The neighbor woman said, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. For those of you familiar with the contours of biblical history, you can feel the weight of verse 17 and also in verse 22. For those of you who may not be familiar with the contours of biblical history, let me tell you that verse 17 closes out this book of Ruth on a note of triumph. Mm. It's from this idea of triumph from tragedy that I want to raise the sermonic idea this morning. I want to encourage somebody from this thought. Things are looking better already. Mm. Amen. Will you turn to your neighbor and tell him, neighbor? 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 Things are looking better already. Things are looking better already. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you this morning. We honor you for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather in your house and to hear from you and to be lifted up and to be encouraged in the word and by the word and through the word. I ask, O Lord, right now that you give me the strength of preaching that your presence will fill this place. Mm, Remove yes, me from the equation mm. and that you only will speak, O Lord, that yes, they might sir. see you lifted up yes. as you draw all men and women, boys and girls unto yourself. Mm-hmm. O Lord, be glorified, be magnified, be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So here in Ruth chapter 4, God gives us a window. A window through which we can see him quietly and strategically at work, turning tragedy to triumph. If you remember back with me to the beginning of our march through Ruth, Pastor John told us that the narrative in the book of Ruth starts out at a terrible time in human history when there was no king in Israel. That, that's what the text says over and over again in the book of Judges, the events of which took place precisely at the same time as the book of Ruth. And I wish, I wish I could go back to Naomi in chapter 1, when her husband Elimelech died, when her boys Malon and Kilion fell out. I wish I could stand there with her when Orpah and Ruth were standing there. I wish I could talk to Naomi And tell her, don't give up in chapter one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't resign your hope in God in chapter one. Come on. Because chapter two is coming. That's right. And in chapter two, something amazing is going to happen. This this girl of yours, Ruth, is going to meet another man. Mm -hmm. 
And in chapter 3, this man will purpose in his heart to redeem this girl. Mm -hmm. And all that you lost, God is going to start to rebuild. Mm -hmm. Don't give up in chapter 1, chapter 2, or chapter 3. Because chapter 4 is coming. That's right. And your girl is going to give birth to a baby that's going to change human history. That's right. Hold on. Things are looking better already. Amen. But, But since I can't go back to Naomi and Ruth, let me talk to you. I don't know what chapter you're in this morning. You might be in chapter one. Hold on in chapter one. You may be in chapter three this morning. I want to tell you to hold on because chapter four is on the way. Hold on because God is working something out for your good. Things are looking better already. But you ask, as you are wont to do, because you all ask good questions. How now, Sway? How are things looking better already? I'm glad you asked. As we see in the text before us this morning, first, things are looking better already because God protects you from your past. Second, things are looking better already because he redeems your present. And third, Things are looking better already because he grafts you into a better future. Look now with me at verse 13 of chapter 4. We see here that things are looking better already in Ruth's life because God is protecting her from her past. There's something in verse 13 that's meant to remind you and I of Ruth's first marriage. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. I want you to know this is not the first time Ruth has been taken as a wife, Mm -hmm. right? She's been through this before. And anybody who knows Ruth's history might be tempted to anticipate a repetition of that history. That she would have been taken as a wife. That she and her husband would have done what married people do. But she would not have had any children. And, and in fact, the last time we went down this road, if you remember from chapter 1, verse 4, we were told that she was married to Malon for 10 years mm, mm. with no child. That's she right. was barren. Mm. Not only that, her husband died. Mm-hmm. And so it looks like death might be the result of her history. But what's different about the narrative is that her past does not repeat itself because God steps in. That's right. The text goes on to say that and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want you to catch that. This is only the second time in the book of Ruth that we see this phrase. In in Ruth chapter 1 verse 6, we read that Naomi took Ruth back to her land because she hears that the Lord had caused crops to grow again in Israel. The Lord had enabled the crops to come back. The food has come back in the middle of the famine. That's the beginning of the book. And then this word shows up again now at the end of the book that God enabled Ruth to conceive. Mm. It's, it's like two 
bookends, right? It's like at the beginning, the causing power of God brings revitalization. And at the end of the book, the causal power of God brings restoration. It's as if the book begins and ends on the note of divine causality. It's as if things don't just happen in Ruth, but God has to make things happen in Ruth's history. In other words... This child is not the product of human sexuality. This baby is the product of divine initiative. It's as if God watches Ruth and Boaz get married and he looks at their past. He looks at Ruth's past and says to the past, not this time. Something different is about to happen this time. Mm. Friends, there are times... When the disappointments of life try to press on you, there are times when the letdowns of the press try to make us think that the future is going to be more of the same. Mm. Pastor John was just telling me a story the other day about a dear friend of his who suffered a catastrophic knee injury and, and had to get surgery and she was laid up for over a year rehabbing and, and getting better and after that, her, her leg was good, and, and she got better. It was back in working order. But then suddenly, one day, she fell, and she heard her knee pop. My goodness, you have never seen a more devastated woman. She thought she would have to go through this all over again. She thought history was going to repeat itself. But thanks be to God. Hmm. Pastor John and others laid hands upon her. They prayed for her. And she got well. Hmm. She got healed. This is the language of the text before us. And it's a divine word for you. Hmm. That God has veto power. There are times when things don't work out before and it dampens our hope for them working out in the future. But God has the ability to protect you from your past. Listen, friends, I don't want you to judge God with what happened in your past that it's going to happen again. God has veto power and he's able to write over the current pages of your life. Not this I mean, I almost feel Pentecostal in this place. (laughs) Judge your neighbor and tell him, not this time. Not this time. Amen. Whatever happened before doesn't have to happen again. How are things looking better already? First, God protects you from your past. Second, we see that things are looking better already because God redeems your present. Look now with me at verse 14. Text says that the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer. In the context of our text culture, Naomi had no hope for survival without a redeemer. As a woman, she wasn't able to make money like a man. As a woman, she wasn't entitled to hold on to the property of her husband which meant that her old age would only be complicated by greater sorrow with no sons and no husband. But yet out of this tragedy, God uses Naomi's daughter-in-law to bring up what the Old Testament system knows as the kinsman redeemer. 
Now, redemption in the Old Testament happens in a number of ways. For example, when there was a murder, the, the nearest kin to that person who was murdered could go and take the life of the murderer without any retribution. Another example is, let's say somebody was caught up in debt, right? And they had to give up their land and to sell their land. What can happen is that the next of kin could come in and buy the land and restore it to their next of kin. This was a system in which family looked out for family, where people stood in the gap and used their strength and their resources to help someone else in their time of need. Yep, yep. That was the plan back in chapter 3, remember? From last week when Naomi and Ruth made that risky move in the middle of the night. When Ruth essentially proposes to Boaz. It's a little against our current norms, right? It's a man that proposes. But here we see Ruth take a step of faith. She, she's bold with it. She goes to his feet in the middle of the night and essentially says to him, Hey, cover me, right, with your love as you would. And so she proposes to Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer. But apparently, there's another man who, according to the Hebrew custom, has greater claim as a redeemer. Now, the impeccably honest Boaz won't go forward without at least first giving this man his lawful opportunity. And so, after that midnight rendezvous, that, that midnight time in chapter 3, we arrive at chapter 4, where we see Boaz going to the city gate where official business was done, right? We read it. Now the near kinsman comes by and Boaz says to the dude, he lays the situation before him. Hey man, there's some land out here. You know, Naomi has it and um, you, it, it's available for you to redeem the land. The dude first said, oh, bet, yes. I will redeem the land. But then Boaz was like, you know what? Attached to that land is this lady called Ruth. She's a Moabite. And, you know, you got to marry her in order to continue the line of Malon. I was like, word? Nah, man. I can't get down with that, B. All right. It's all yours, bro. You take it. All right. You go ahead. You had that. Okay? And so this frees up Boaz to redeem Ruth and Naomi. Now, what's not immediately visible simply upon the pages of this text is that the price of redemption was often set at a higher price than what the land or what the person was worth. Mm -hmm. In other words, the redeemer did not just pay what was owed or what the market value was. The redeemer often paid more than market value to assure that the person who was buying it, who was being bought for, didn't get cheated. Mm. Remember back in chapter 2, when Boaz gave over and above the requirements of the law to see that Ruth had plenty of food? Mm -hmm. Now in chapter 4, we get a picture of a redeemer in Boaz who didn't just pay what the thing was worth, All right. but turns around and pays more than Come what on. the thing is worth because of the value he sees in Ruth. Yeah. Mm. Pastor Taylor is feeling me right now. Y'all not feeling me yet, but let me try this one more time. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that in Ruth chapter 4, we get a picture of a redeemer who doesn't just do the bare minimum, yeah. but exceeds the bare minimum yeah. because of the value he sees in his next of kin. Mm -hmm. yeah. Friends, this is a prototype. This is a preview of a coming attraction yeah. because there is another redeemer. That's right. When we get into the New Testament, who 
doesn't just do the bare minimum, yeah. but he exceeds the yeah. bare minimum because of the value he sees in his bride. When Jesus came to die for you and for you and for you, he didn't just pay the minimum, he gave the maximum. Yeah. He gave everything yeah. he had so that you could have a new life. Amen. Is there anybody thankful yeah. in this church yeah. for Jesus Christ who gave everything? to redeem you. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer. Amen. Look at the way these women express their praise. And it's, it's rather interesting. They say, praise be to God who didn't leave you without a redeemer. It's a, it, it, it's a weird construction, even in the Hebrew. It, it, it says that what God has done is that he has not done something. <laughs> see here, see here how God's redemptive work in the presence involves preventative performance. Mm-hmm. In other words, the way God has redeemed Naomi's present is by not letting something happen that could have happened. Yeah. There it is in verse 14. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer. Now, another way to say it is that blessed be the Lord who gave you a redeemer. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But but that's not the way it's written. It's written to say blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer. The women are saying, we ought not just praise God for what he has done for you, Naomi. We need to praise God for what he did not let happen to you. Is there anybody here today thankful for everything God has given to you? You're thankful for the house. You're thankful for the job. You're thankful for your kids. You're thankful for everything God has done. But when you get done being thankful for what God has done, don't leave out this category. Thank God for what he did not let happen to you. Can I get five? 10 or 15 people they'll be able to testify that things should be worse but they are as good because God did not let some things happen to you you could be worse in fact you should be worse but his grace prevented things from happening that should have happened thanks be to God for his preventative performance Yes, Yes. yes so So things are looking better already because God protects you from your past. He redeems your present. But watch this. Things are looking better because he grafts you into a better future. Look at verse 17 with me. The neighbor woman said, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of of David. It, 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 Obed, that, that name literally means one who works. Okay? This, this won't be a lazy boy. Right? He's going to be one who serves. He's going to be one who dedicates his life in service to others. I mean, they, they give him an appropriate name. But you know what's not appropriate? His mother's ethnicity. Now, I've been sitting on this 
the, the, the whole sermon. Mm. Those of you who read the Bible, you know exactly what this is all about. Mm-hmm. Ruth doesn't even belong in the Bible, y'all. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even have the cultural or ethnic pedigree that makes her part of Abraham's perfect line. She is a Moabite. Mm-hmm. A Moabite? Moab? Mm-hmm. Lot's descendants? <laughs> the Lot who turned his back on God? The, the Lot who disrespected Abraham? The lot who chose to do things the wrong way and got his line all twisted and mangled, that Moab? Moab wasn't even supposed to have any contact with Israel. In fact, the Deuteronomic law says that they're not supposed to darken the doorways of the house of God until the 10th generation. She don't belong here. She's not supposed to be here. And this is where I take my seat today. Isn't it amazing how people end up in the Bible being used of God who aren't supposed to be there? Isn't it amazing how God will use people, unlikely people, unworthy people, unpedigreed people? Maybe you didn't hear me because you haven't realized I'm talking about you. Why are you here? Somebody whose name doesn't exactly belong on the church's role. Somebody who doesn't deserve to get God's attention. Somebody who's been so close to hell, you still come in here smelling like smoke. But God in his goodness and his kindness has loved on you and you are here where you do not belong. Can I get five or ten, maybe fifteen people who can shout amen to God who has given you something that you do not deserve. Ruth shouldn't even be in here. She shouldn't be in here. But just like you and I, she's here because grace has got key to doors that performance cannot open. Grace has access to rooms that pedigree cannot get in. Come on now. not here because you deserve it, but because you don't deserve it. And could it be that God had been working all along from the time Ruth was born saying there's one of Moab, but I'm going to graft her into Israel. I am going to make her one of mine. I'm getting out of here, but you need to notice one more thing in the text. Mm -hmm. See here how God uses this baby not only to bless Naomi and Ruth personally, grafting her into a better future but also to bless the entire world and craft for us all a better future Naomi and Ruth did not know who she had in her lap they knew there was a newborn baby, they they knew there was a, a period of rescue for their own lives but they could not have imagined what was coming down the line through that boy y'all y'all remember uh, Deshaun Watson the bane of Seminole football <laughs> in 2015, 16, and 17. What you may not remember or what you may not know about Deshaun Watson is his background and how unlikely his meteoric rise was. This, this black boy from way down south is now one of the leading quarterbacks in the NFL. He's the QB for the Houston Texans. Now, what's amazing about Deshaun Watson's story is that his mother had tongue cancer Mm. when she got pregnant with him. And shortly after she gave birth to him, she lost her tongue. She couldn't talk. She could barely work. By the grace of God, they were given a house by 
Habitat for Humanity, and the house was then furnished by a member of the Atlanta Falcons. By the grace of God, this kid excelled in his craft, and, and the night he was drafted, he, while he's being interviewed on live television, they, they slide him a note. And they said, hey, your mama has something to say. But since she ain't got a tongue, she had to write it down. Do you mind reading it? He pulled out the note, and there on national television, he starts to read his mama's note. It says, son, I'm so proud of you. Son, I was at your first flag football game, and I've been at every game ever since. I've watched you, son, mature into a man. I've watched you become a leader. You know the adversity we've had to triumph over, and I'm so proud of you that right now you've reached your goal and you're playing in the NFL. And I, I, I got one more thing to say to you, son. She said, son, remember, like Drake said, we ain't supposed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and as Deshaun reads this last line that says he ain't supposed to be here, he starts crying on national television mm. because he can't believe how far God has brought him. Mm. And the first thing he's doing is taking care of his mama. Mm. Now, let me rewind the story because I don't think y'all appreciate it quite yet. When that woman was pregnant with that boy, she didn't know that she would lose her tongue. She didn't know how hard life would be, but she stuck with that boy. She gave birth to that boy. She didn't know that it was part of God's plan to have that boy. She didn't know that one day he would be eligible to win the Heisman. She didn't know that he would go to school on a full scholarship. She didn't know that in 2017 he would be drafted by the Houston Texans. She didn't know that her life would be permanently blessed by the boy she gave birth to. Do y'all feel what I'm trying to say? Naomi did not know that that boy in her lap will give birth to another boy named Jesse. She didn't know that that boy Jesse will give birth to a boy that would be called King David. She didn't know that in two generations her great grandson will be sitting on the throne of Israel leading the people of God into the greatest period of prosperity they've ever known. But it gets better. The story doesn't end there because guess what? David gave birth to Solomon and Solomon gave birth to Rehoboam and Rehoboam gave birth to Abijah and Abijah gave birth to Asaph and Asaph gave birth to Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat gave birth to Joram and Joram gave birth to Uzziah. I'm getting somewhere. In the year that King Uzziah died, the prophet Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his strength filled the temple and Uzziah gave birth to Jotham and Jotham gave birth to Ahaz and Ahaz gave birth to Ezekiah. Ezekiah gave birth to Manasseh and Manasseh gave birth to Amos. Amos gave birth to Josiah and 14 generations later Jacob gave birth to Joseph the husband of Mary who gave birth to one Paul? Jesus. Jesus. Who is called the Christ. Don't tell Naomi and Ruth things are looking better already because there is somebody in your womb who will also be born in Bethlehem and he's going to be another redeemer and his name is Jesus. Jesus.
this within Ruth's womb, within Naomi's line, was not just a kinsman redeemer, but mankind's redeemer. Yeah. And his name is Jesus. Oh, bless his name. In Christ Jesus, we are protected from our past. In Christ Jesus, we are redeemed in our present. In Christ Jesus, we have been grafted in and we're being prepared for a glorious future. Oh, blessed be his name. Things are looking better already. Praise the Lord. Amen.